Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as Mick mentioned, we are in the midst of a series called Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries in which we are having a bit of an overview of the book of Acts. We're not going verse by verse. We're not delving into all the original language and all that sort of stuff and going to it very, very deeply. But we are looking at some of the key events and picking some highlights out, the things that can help us in order that we as a church and as individual Christians can impact our world as they impacted their world some nearly 2,000 years ago now. And so, so far, we've had a look at the, our series started um, effectively two weeks ago, although it was really three because we had Mother's Day as a bit of an interruption. But Tone started the series by talking about Jesus' departure and some of the things that Jesus spoke about, which obviously were high on his priority list because they were his last words here on planet Earth. We then looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church and the impact that that had on a bunch of believers who were well-intentioned but unable to live up to their good intentions because they had not yet received power from God. Last week, I had a look at three countercultural behaviours of the church. We looked at the fact that the world is in rebellion to God And we're called to be in rebellion to that rebellion. And so there are some things that the world is doing that are not what we're called to be doing. And so we had a look at the fact that while the world is spiritually apathetic, we're called to be devoted to God. We looked at the fact that much of the world is independent and relationally shallow, and yet we're called to have deep fellowship. Not just in in our purpose, but together with purpose. Um, Building relationships as we do what we're called to do. And then we had a look at much of the world is stingy and living for itself, and we're called to be generous. Then last Sunday night, uh, says spoke about rebels under persecution. And you'd think that things would go well when you're out there doing good to the community, healing people, but no. Those with a religious mindset, those who don't want the the apple cart upset, began to persecute some of the Christians. And says spoke to us about how they were able to deal with that. Some of the responses they had, which I think are really helpful for us, because we all face persecution at different times. You know, every one of us in this room, I'm sure, has had misunderstanding from family or friends or workmates who just don't get the fact you're a Christian. It comes across in many different ways. And I think if we take Says message and put that into practice, we can be wiser in the way that we respond to some of that stuff. This morning, I want to continue with part five of our series, and I'm calling it Reality Check. Reality Check. And I've read, when I've read this scripture, you'll probably work out why I've called it that. So if you want to turn in your Bibles... If you have them, to Acts 4, verse 32. Otherwise, it will be up here on the screen. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it in at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite, it's one of the tribes of Israel, from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money to put it at the apostles' feet. Verse chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? 
Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Says was in our prayer meeting before, before church this morning, he was saying, oh, wouldn't it be awesome to see things that, you know, in Acts, see more of those things happening today? And I'm thinking, I'm speaking on Ananias and Sapphira today. <laughs> anyway, so he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out to be buried. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Probably a bit of an understatement right there. This story, to me, is a bit of a shock. Like, when you think about all that's just gone on beforehand, where, you know, the Holy Spirit has been poured out, Jesus has has risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has come, empowered the church... And yeah, there's some persecution, but in the midst of that persecution, there's a greater revelation of God and understanding of his purposes. People are being healed. Demonic spirits are, are releasing people. And all manner of great things are happening. And then this. It's like, what the heck is that about? And so, you know, for me, that's one of the reasons I think this particular story is one of the things that gives me confidence that the Bible is true. The Bible is not just some glossy brochure about, you know, come to a Christian, become a Christian, everything will be all right, which is the way that we would try and sell Christianity. The fact you've got this awkward, annoying story that doesn't really paint God or Peter in the light that we would perhaps like them to be thought of in. You know what I'm saying? So the fact that it's in the Bible suggests that it's actually true. They, could, they, they probably wanted to gloss over it, but under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they couldn't leave it out. So why? Why do we see this situation happen? Why were they judged so harshly is my initial question, I guess, and probably yours. Well, all I can say really is this, because I don't know all the ins and outs of why, but certainly we see that throughout the Bible, when there are new starts, when there are fresh things happening, it, also, it often comes with a reminder, not just of God's goodness and God's plans and purposes, but a bit of a reminder of God's holiness as well. That God is not someone to be trifled with. Yes, he is gracious, he is kind, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger, he is abounding in love, and so on and so forth. But he's holy and he is just, and he won't be messed around with. And I think at the start of the New Testament, you know, some people have this impression that the God, the hard, harsh God of the Old Testament has gone soft in the New. I think this story says, no, he hasn't. You don't mess with God, Old Testament or New Testament. We all are saved by his grace. I don't think we need to assume necessarily that Ananias and Sapphira went to hell, but we do need to understand that God wanted to make a point for our sakes, ultimately, that we don't mess around. And I think it's worth remembering at this point that it's a point he could probably make with any one of us. You know, when you read that story, 
Did you think as you were reading through that story, these guys are bad people. They deserve to die for doing that. What do you think? Wow, they're generous. You probably thought, wow, that's pretty generous to start with, don't you, when you first... That says to me that every one of us could have been them. They are not any worse than any of us. It's by the grace of God that we all stand here today. It's by the grace of God the church has stood. And by the grace of God, he took out one couple to leave an everlasting message for us to know that we don't take God lightly. The second thing is, what do they do wrong? And again, we could be, particularly for those of, you know, that maybe have negative impressions about church. You know, one of the negative impressions about the church out there in the world is that they just want your money. And you could use a scripture like this and say, oh, look, they do. They just want your money. These guys got in trouble for not giving everything. And that's not the way it is. They didn't have to give everything. Peter said, wasn't that yours before you sold it? Wasn't it at your disposal? So it wasn't about having to give everything. They weren't forced to give anything. And in this church, you don't force anyone to give anything. What happens is, as Mick said, it's about an overflow of the heart. We do these things because we want to, not because we have to. And so Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he sells a field. And he brings the money to the apostles because he recognizes a need. And he has the wherewithal to meet that need. And so he willingly brings his gift. And Ananias and Sapphira, they see that. And they're inspired to do something as well. The trouble is they hold something back. But it wasn't that they didn't give everything that was the problem. And it wasn't even that they didn't give enough. That's the problem. Again, we need to compare scripture with scripture. And the Bible talks a lot about, it's not about the amount, it's about the attitude. It's about what you have and all of that sort of stuff. So it wasn't that they didn't bring everything. It wasn't that they didn't bring enough. The problem was that they lied about what they gave. They lied about what they gave. The bottom line for these guys is they were simply caught out trying to look more devoted and more generous than they actually were. That's the bottom line. We talked about devotion, we talked about generosity. And these guys were just trying to look that way. More so than they actually were. You know what that is about? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And so I want to speak to us this morning in this message called Reality Check about hypocrisy. She said, when asked specifically, uh, Sapphira, yes, that is the price. So she blatantly lied about how much she'd given. Now, hypocrisy, unfortunately, is one of the things that people often have issues with about the church. Who's ever heard, oh, blooming Christians, all hypocrites? Church, full of hypocrites. You heard that? Well, in our defense, what they usually mean, they don't really mean hypocrites, because I don't think they understand what a hypocrite actually is when they say that. Often they're just thinking, "You you don't practice what you preach. And there's a difference between not practicing what you preach and hypocrisy because every one of us unfortunately are living in this this human state where we battle to do the things that we don't want to uh, to do the things we want to do and we often do the things we don't want to do because of the fall of mankind we're all have this bias towards sin and so we're all tarred with that brush we all fail to live up to our ideals at times think of an alcoholic for example he might have high ideals about sobriety but he will fail perhaps and so he'll go and go binge drinking does that make him a hypocrite no it doesn't it makes him human what makes him a hypocrite is if he pretends to all his friends that he's no longer drinking but every night he goes home and drinks that's the essence of hypocrisy and so 
I think it's a little bit unfair to say the church is full of hypocrites. It's full of people who mess up and don't live up to the expectations that they have of themselves and that God has of them. But that's not necessarily hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the act of pretending to have a character or beliefs or principles that one does not possess. A pretense of virtue or piety. It's about false goodness. John Stott said this of Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted the credit and the prestige for sacrificial giving without the inconvenience of it. They wanted to get a reputation for being generous and for being devoted to God, to be committed, to being pillars in the church. But they didn't want to pay the price of those that actually were those things. Jesus said to his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus was forever battling with these Pharisees, these religious people of the day, who had an appearance of godliness. And as a result of that appearance of godliness, there was a perception that they cared about people. And when you looked at their lives and you looked at the laws and the regulations they were bringing on people and the way they were applying those laws and regulations, they were screwing people down for their money and they were withholding righteousness and justice. And Jesus had issues with that because they were false witnesses. They were pretending to be something they were. They weren't really concerned about people. They were concerned about themselves. They were concerned about their position in society. They were concerned about their prestige and the way they looked rather than about representing God faithfully to people. And so why does God hate hypocrisy? Well, for those reasons, which is basically that deception creates an unreal environment. And in this church and right throughout scripture, we see a love for reality. God can work with reality, but where there's deception and unreality, people get all bound up and messed up. The trouble is with an unreal environment is people don't respond the way they should. They respond in ways that they wouldn't otherwise do. And so, for example, if, you know, people might put trust where they shouldn't put trust. And so, for if, if, for example, as a person, I'm portraying myself to be the ultimate confidant, all right? I'm the person that, that cares deeply for you and you can share anything with me because I will just keep it between me and the Lord. I'll take it to my prayer closet and I will pray passionately and zealously for you and it's just between you, me and the Lord. It's an appearance of godliness and it might cause someone to respond on the basis of appearances. But if the reality is that I go out and tell everyone else, hypocrite. An appearance of one thing but doing the other. And people get hurt when that happens. If I act as a young man like I'm concerned about sexual purity and I am an all-round good guy, devoted follower of Jesus and use that as a, a lure to bring young ladies into my web of deceit and that's not really my motive, hypocrisy. It's an act. I'm not saying some person who has high ideals and then stumbles I'm talking about someone who sets out, they say one thing in order to get something that's not in line with what they're saying. So people put their trust where it shouldn't be. And so we need to be careful where we put our trust. And we need to not just take people's word for what they are. People often come, when they find you're a pastor, they often want to talk to you about their commitment to God and their generosity here and their commitment and, you know, I want to be accountable and all this, all this stuff just comes out. And to be honest, I think nothing of it. I don't, I don't even, it doesn't faze me one little bit because I think what will 
I'll just be watching over the next little while and see what really happens. Because you can talk about commitment, you can talk about devotion, you can talk about generosity, but it's ultimately seen in what you do. Okay? When people portray something they're not really, the other problem with that is that it sets up high ideals that people feel unable to live up to. And that's why, again, from this pulpit, you will often hear stories, a little bit like the Ananias and Sapphira story. It's not kind of what you... It doesn't portray you necessarily in your best light, but it keeps it real. And so I've said some stuff about myself that's embarrassing. Tone said some stuff about me that's embarrassing. <laughs> and about himself, as it says. Because we just want to help you guys to understand we're not perfect. Being a pastor is not a ticket to perfection. We still have issues in our marriage. We still sometimes shout and, you know, the kids aren't perfect. They still, believe it or not, do things wrong. Pastor's kids, yes. Possibly even more. (laughs) But the trouble is, if we don't do that, what happens is then people begin to think more of us than they ought. And the trouble is, it doesn't just stop here. Often just the fact you go to church, people are already thinking more of you than they ought. They have a perception that you're somehow better than them, that you're perfect, or that's what you're trying to say. And so if you never let on that, hey, I'm a Christian, um, but we, I have troubles in my marriage too at times, and this is what I did to find that helpful. If you just, you know, when they talk to you about marriages, yes, yes, I'm the all-wise counselor, and I never let on anything about my life, it just adds to the, the, the facade that people in church are perfect and nothing ever goes wrong for them. You know, one of the sad things is that of many people don't come to church, they feel they won't fit in. How many people, uh, and I guess I'm you know, quite passionate about marriage, I do a lot about, with people with marriages and stuff, and, and um, you know, how often do people have a Barney in the, on the car, in the car on the way here? But when you get to church, how do you look? Here I am, everything's awesome. Jesus lives, Hallelujah. In the car, church. Is there anyone in this room who's ever had anything like that ever happen to them? No, no, no. That's another church down the road. Yeah, okay. But you know what I'm saying? If we, it's so hard for people to open up and be honest about their lives. Well, they think because everyone's doing that. When they do have a Barney in the car on the way to church. They think they're the only ones in the whole church that's actually having a Barney on the way to church. When really it's all of us. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to harness all that energy wasted in the car? No. But if we're open and honest about some of the stuff our kids are going through or some of the stuff that's in their marriage or some of the stuff we're going through at work, it, it, all, it gives permission for people to be open and honest about where they're at. And if we're able to be open and honest, it means we're able to get the help that we need. Whereas if we're in an environment where we think no one would get what I'm talking about, because none of these people have ever shouted at their wives. None of these people have ever had kids that have stolen anything or done anything wrong or whatever. You know, suddenly I feel isolated and unable to help, ask for help for fear of being judged. So it creates a false, a false environment, false sense of reality. How does it look? How do people, how, how could we possibly be hypocrites? Maybe we're not doing exactly what Ananias and Sapphira have done, but what are some of the ways that this could possibly impact our lives? Well, basically, lies and exaggeration is just that can be part of hypocrisy. When I 
lie about my level of commitment. Like I said, when some people talk to me and they talk to me all about all they are, and I had a lady chatting to me and she found I was a pastor, and she's telling me all about her level of commitment to this local church and what her partner's done. He's done theology this and theology that. And, but then she's talking about, she's telling all that on one side, but then she's talking about her living arrangements. And I'm thinking, one of these things is, is kind of not like the other. <laughs> so she wasn't really being truthful about the level of her commitment to God. She wasn't being level, uh, truthful about some things in her life in order to impress me. That's hypocrisy. What about selective information or ambiguous language? I mean, if I said to you this morning, I said, this morning when I was praying at 3.30, one of the children got up and interrupted me. <laughs> what do you think about me? You're probably thinking something like, wow, he's really spiritual. He's must, you know, him and God, they're like that. That's the perception that's intended to be created when people say stuff like that. The reality might be, when I was up at 3.30 this morning, hugging the toilet bowl, praying, Jesus, take me now. <laughs> one of the kids walks in and goes, Dad, what's all the noise for? Same thing, really. You can describe both those things the same way, can't you? But it's all in the way you say it. And Christians are awesome in the way we say stuff to make it sound good. Because we don't want people thinking less of us. I don't want us to think that we struggle or that we're not praying or anything. So we'll take every little, oh, I was praying then, I'm going to use that, 3.30 in the morning. Might get some credits in someone's account. What about selective generosity? You're not normally a generous person, but when someone who you want to impress is around, you suddenly become generous. You might pay for the meal of that young lady or that young guy, or you might, it might be someone who you think, you know, they could be the, the entrance into some sort of business network. Or so you'll, you'll put forward a, an image of generosity, but it's not reflected in the rest of your life. It's hypocrisy. It's not an attempt to, okay, from here on in, I'm going to attempt and I'm going to, with all I can, be a more generous person. It's no, no, this isn't about them and blessing them. This is about what I can get out of this deal. Could be, you know, we have offering goes by. You know, you've got people who give every week. They might look like they don't give because they're giving by FPOS and all that sort of stuff. And you could be looking at them, judging them, thinking, oh, you're a miserable, stingy person. You never put anything in the offering buckets they go by. But they could be giving far more. It's just that it's, they're not making a show of it. Someone else might have got an inheritance of half a million dollars. And so when they give once in the year, with a flourish, they put out their $50 note. <laughs> And put it in for everyone to see. Portraying something that's not in line with reality. It's hypocrisy. Now, I don't know if anyone in this room has ever been guilty of anything like that. But I have at different times. What's the roots of hypocrisy? Why did they, Ananias and Sapphira, and why do we do stuff like that? Peter said this to Ananias initially. He said, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4 it says, what made you think of doing such a thing? And so to me there's two elements to this. The first one is the spiritual element. You don't have to be a Satanist to be influenced by the devil. You don't have to, be, have, have to have occult meetings or anything like that. You just have to be human to be influenced by the devil. We can assume that Ananias and Sapphira were, were born again Christians, spirit-filled Christians even, just People who were passionately on fire for God, in all likelihood, 
converted on the day of Pentecost or shortly thereafter, but possibly even before as one of Jesus' 70, we don't know. So you've got these people who are part of the church. We, we don't have to assume that they were evil, that they were seeking to undermine things. But somehow, rather than be led by the Spirit as Barnabas was when he sold his field and bought it all and gave it to the apostles that he might be a source of help, they listened to the devil. Say, you can look as good as him, but you don't have to pay the same price. And so that's one side of it, is the external influences. But then the other thing is the internal issues. And these are the things that make us susceptible to doing dumb stuff like that. And again, we're all susceptible at different times in different ways. Peter said, what made you do such a thing? And so we can't just say the devil made me do it. We've, ultimately, we've got to take responsibility for our actions. If that, was, if that was the excuse, there would be no need for salvation. We'd blame it all on the devil and we'd all get to heaven. But Peter says, what made you do such a thing. The Holy Spirit ultimately wants to help us in the areas that we're struggling. He wants us to break through. Perhaps there's areas, for example, of pride on one hand or, or insecurity on the other. These are things that can drive the sorts of things that make us want to look better than we actually are. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us humble ourselves. The Holy Spirit wants to help us feel better about ourselves and understand who we are in Christ in order that we can face this life confidently. And if we will yield those things to him and just daily seek his help in those areas, he will help us. But if we try and put them under the carpet, or if we try and ignore them, or if we're not listening to God and going to him regularly for direction, what will happen is the devil will get into our lives and he'll begin to use those weaknesses against us. He will turn them against us and that's exactly what happened. He just, no doubt, just sowed a little thought. You guys can have that. Inspired by Barnabas, you can have that. But you don't have to pay the same price. So there's our internal issues. If we are insecure, we'll be looking for opportunities to get people to like us. And we might move into the area of hypocrisy, trying to portray an image of something that we're not. If we're proud, likewise. If we're greedy, likewise. These things that are Intrinsic to all of us, if left unchecked, will become our undoing. The third thing, just quickly when finishing, is how do we rebel against hypocrisy? We talked about rebelling against some things last week. Well, rebelling against hypocrisy is simply this, honesty. Honesty. The problem was that you have not lied to men but to God. In Acts 5.4 and in 5.9, Peter said to her, uh, Sapphira, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? This, this little phrase, test the Spirit of the Lord, it means it's kind of like you're just seeing how far you can go. In our house, we grew up with that little saying, the invisible line. And Tone, particularly in our house, he was the one who was kind of like, and I hope I don't offend anyone here, but you heard about the Irish minesweeper? That's, that's, that was Tone. I mean, we all got smacks, all of us, but, but Tone a little bit more regularly because he just didn't know where the line was. And th- these guys didn't know where the line was. It's kind of like, how far can we go? Because probably there are other things going on. I mean, it was not the church was instantly perfect when the Holy Spirit fell. People were still battling with stuff. And so maybe you see someone get a little bit away with a little bit there and you say, oh, grace of God. See someone else get a little bit away, oh, grace of God, grace of God, grace of God. Bam. Oops. <laughs> Grace of God stops there for me. 
And so if hypocrisy is about lying and deception, surely rebellion against is just about openness and honesty. Imagine if they'd have just said, for example, or sorry, what they did say was, here's all the money that we got. So it's a blatant lie. And again, often we're not that blatant. Often we're a little bit more subtle. We might just say, this money is from the sale of my property. So again, just that hiding that information, that crucial bit of information, not all the money. This money's from. Leaves it ambiguous. But what if they'd have said, this is some of the money from the sale of that property. Imagine if they'd have been really, really open and even come before the church and said, man, Barnabas, what a guy. He is awesome. I'm just so inspired. I love the fact that he's part of our church. He's, just, he's such an encouragement to all of us. And when he the other day just went and sold that property and he gave all that money, I just thought, man, I, I've got some spare parts. I've got to sell it. But, but we've, we've got a whole heap of bills. You know, we've only just become Christians and you know, we've just got it getting, we've, we've had a whole bunch of debt beforehand. And so but we can't give everything, but we can give something. And so this is what we can afford to give at this time. Hopefully, down the track, we've got some other stuff. We'd love to be able to give more. But for now, this is where we're at. Imagine that. Imagine that in the church. That brings life. That's reality. That, that continues to bring encouragement to people. And it inspires. It gives people an example to follow. It keeps the thing real. Because every one of us, we come in this place, you know, and, we, and certainly, you know, we take up offerings and, and people understand that something, there's something about giving in church. And this building didn't happen by accident. It happened based on the generosity of the people in this church. But everyone comes in different stages in life. And it's not like we stand at the door and say, as soon as you come in, okay, how much have you got? Right, we'll take that. Thanks very much. We've already, hopefully, hopefully you understand that. But people, and I just, I just love an attitude that says, God is worthy of what I've got. And at the end of the day, if I give everything I am, and all the praise of my mouth, all the dance in my feet, all of my possessions, he's still worthy of more than that. But here are my realities, and I have responsibilities to my wife and my kids. And so, so at this point, we can't do this, but what we can do, we're going to do. And we're going to do it faithfully, and we're going to trust that as we do that, God will honor us. And we will find that he's a God who provides and he does give over and above what we need. And we'll be able to increase our giving as time goes on. That's a right attitude. Not try and look like a hero without paying the price. That's all they did wrong. Honesty communicates reality, which promotes trust. Again, we're talking to people about, hey, look, you might be in a really tough place at the moment in your marriage or with your kids. Hey, look, I've been there. I know people that have been there. You're not alone in this church. You're not the only idiot who can't get yourself together here. We've all been there and we'll all be there again. We're all idiots but for the grace of God, essentially. Suddenly that person feels, wow, I'm being understood. Well, I think I can, I can, think I can trust this group of people a little bit more. It promotes openness. And openness ultimately is the key to getting what we need. If I pretend I've got no problems in my marriage ever or no problems with bringing up children, I never find that difficult. If I, all that stuff, I will never ever get help. No one will ever offer help and I'll never ask for it. Whereas if I'm open and honest, I'm going to find that in this group of people, there's a whole bunch of experience, a whole bunch of wisdom, a whole bunch of stuff that can help me get beyond where I am. That's why God hates hypocrisy and that's why he loves honesty. Ananias and Sapphira, Essentially, they were just 
somehow fooled into thinking that their acceptance amongst that group of people was dependent upon what they appeared to be. Nothing could have been further from the truth, but that's often the way people think when they come to church. Again, if you've been a Christian for some time or you come amongst a group of people, the reality is if you've been a Christian for some time, all things being equal, your life is going to look a certain way. It's going to be a whole, much, a whole lot better than it was before. And it can be intimidating when people walk through those doors with all their baggage. We want to make it as easy for them as possible by being open and honest and real about where we've come from as well. Not put on some superior spiritual airs that just keep them in their box. Let's not take shortcuts to popularity, respect, position, relationships, whatever it might be. But let's keep it real. If we don't, we won't just end up hurting ourselves. We might not get struck down by lightning. We might not drop dead in the pulpit or in the pews or wherever else. Because Ananias Sapphira died to teach us that lesson. But there will be a death. There'll be a death in our relationships. There'll be a death in trust. There'll be a death in a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's not the way God wants us to leave or live. Every one of us is going to fail. That's not hypocrisy. Having high ideals and failing isn't hypocrisy. But pretending that you've got it all together when you haven't, that's hypocrisy. God's not fooled. He's not impressed by our religious charades by our church attendance and all that sort of stuff he wants reality he loves to work with those who are honest and open about their needs and I'd just love to spend a moment just to, to pray for us now maybe we just close our heads for a moment uh, close our eyes bow our heads for a minute keep your heads open that will be good <laughs> but I just just to love a, allow a moment just for us to maybe just in the quietness of our own minds, just allow God to speak to us. If there's an area in our life where we've perhaps been guilty of putting up a facade just for the sake of trying to impress someone, trying to meet some sort of need within us, that we can just ask God's forgiveness for that and ask for his grace and his strength to help us move beyond that in order that we and the church can go on and remain healthy and vibrant. Because that's what he wants. And I'm going to just, as we just take a moment to reflect on that, I'm just going to pray a prayer that I'd love you just to agree with in your head if that's what you're feeling challenged with. People want, they expect, and they need reality in the church. And my prayer is that we would be able to give it to them. Father, We just want to present ourselves to you afresh and just ask that the searchlight of your Holy Spirit would just play over our lives a little bit. And you would help us to identify areas where perhaps we've even deceived ourselves, but are certainly deceiving others. I ask, Lord God, that you would help us to see how that affects you and affects those around about us. And may we take offense and get angry at those things that are ultimately God robbers and people robbers. Lord, I ask you to forgive us where we've been involved in stuff like this. And I ask you to help us to make some changes in the way that we speak and the way that we act and the things that we do. Not that we take life down to the lowest common denominator and just call it reality. 
but they would live real lives, but real under your guidance, real under your empowering, real under the strengthening of your word and your spirit, Lord. So God, have your way amongst us. May we truly be a people that are for the praise of your glory. And as we learn the lesson of the life of, or lives and deaths of Ananias and Sapphira, even as there was a renewed sense of reverence and awe in the church, there was also much fruitfulness. And people were afraid to come, but the church grew daily. That sounds something like the reality of a relationship with a, an awe-inspiring, holy, and awesome God. So God, be seen in our lives through your ability to transform us. Be seen in our lives through our ability to be open and vulnerable and to even be ridiculed or thought less of because we just dare not offend you or be a stumbling block for others. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.